Folks, we are back with another episode of the World Studies Pod Class, learning about the algorithm of the world, so how we can best function within it, right? If you think about it as tide, and I got to get from point A to point B, I better know the direction that the tide is going, right? It helps me to accomplish what I want in life in order to understand the tide so I can work around it. It's the same thing for the world. We have to, or we should, understand the algorithm of the world, the way in which the world works. We're currently in the culture unit. The premise, or the main thought of this unit, essentially is you are a ball of clay. When you're born, you're born into this world, and you try to make sense of it. As you grow older, your brain develops, you can understand more but you are born into culture. That's the way that we do things. And as we mentioned and discussed in previous episodes and classes, we'll call them, the way in which we do things, like the norms, isn't always normal or right. So we're just trying to figure out, okay, how is culture formed? Why does culture change? How does culture influence you? And think of like the algorithm thing. What how can you navigate around that, right? And not like, how can you beat culture? Because that's not really like the thought. It's more so like, how has culture influenced you? And how do you want it to be influencing you? And like the good parts of culture that like unite people, which is great. But then also, what are parts of culture we're like, not really about? So we've looked at what is culture, how it changes, all that stuff. We looked at uh, religions, we looked at Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity. Really with that, try not to convert anyone, but more so just what wisdom can we get from it. This episode, I'm bringing on a friend that I made, um, and I will get into it in the pod class, uh, Chef Ryan Rizzuto. He's from my hometown. We've somehow kept in touch with social media. It's one of the joys and beauties of it. Uh, and yeah. We have a nice long discussion about food and culture. So I was going to do a podcast episode on food, and I figured Ryan has to know way more than I do. So let me talk to him about it. And it was awesome. Like It was really eye-opening for me. Um, Ryan shows the rabbit hole of food that you can go down Like when learning about food um, in two ways. One pick a culture and then like how much you can dive into what's available and like the world of that culture and their food. But then also learning about a food helps you understand the culture, right? So if you're like, let's say you're trying to understand people from the Middle East, learning about their food helps. Like we talk about soul, soul food and how like he connects it to history in America. And he says like, it's true. It's the true American food. I thought it was awesome. It was just such a fun conversation. Um, and <laughs> I don't want to say overwhelming, but for me, I like as he just kept talking, I was like, dude, there's so much to learn. Like he was just going down this rabbit hole, which was awesome about like Italy. And I was like, bro, this is like there is there's just so much to learn in this world. Food being one of them. And we get into this conversation about like how to make life more interesting. Like, you know, like we eat all the time. Um, we can constantly be learning and like food is a great way to do that and to explore that world. So without further ado, um, this is my first interview in the, in podcasting. 
So again, thank you to Ryan Rizzuto. And uh, I hope you enjoy as much as I did. I thought it was a fun conversation. Peace. All right, so I'm here with Ryan Rizzuto. Um, he was, we grew up in the same town in South Jersey, um, went to the same school, and then Ryan eventually moved out to California. And then I'm not exactly sure how it even started, but you just hit me up. I don't know if it was like for the music or for the podcast or what, but we have gotten in touch via social media. And then I know that Ryan is a chef. And I figured I want to talk about food and culture because there's so many connections. So Ryan, if you will, uh, what's going on with you? Uh, what do you do for a living? And um, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sean. Uh, I found out about the podcast through Instagram. Uh, Sean and I went to the same elementary school, middle school, and the high school together uh, and uh, have kind of stayed in touch via social media. And I, I found out that he was doing a podcast and I was immediately intrigued. So um, started listening and have listened to the first three episodes. So I'm excited to finally be a part of it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, dude, an actual fan. <laughs> That's nice to have. So you are a chef. So when we were talking before, you said you are a chef and a student of culinary, I think is how you word it, or cuisine. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think as a chef or, or a food enthusiast, um, you know, studying food is an element of the passion. So I would say I, I am a student of, of life, but also of cuisine and food and as a result, history and culture. True. So what got you into, which, which came first, I guess, was it the being a student and just finding it interesting, learning about it, or was it um, seeking to become a chef? I would say my intention wasn't actually to become a chef. I studied Italian language, history and culture, uh, as well as international affairs in college. So I didn't really have an intention to ever become a chef. Uh, but when I graduated from James Madison University down in Virginia, um, I kind of developed or I, I took a look at my resume essentially and said, what jobs can I apply for based on my work experience? And all of my work experience, I'd been around food and I, I kind of had this uh, kind of coming to terms with my true passion, which was definitely food. So I, I decided to pursue that. Um, first in New York, I went up to uh, Manhattan. I worked in a place called Italy, which is like an Italian food emporium uh, with all these different restaurants and concepts. They bake their own fresh bread and teach pasta making classes. So I got uh, involved at Italy and was there for two years and then jumped around to a couple of New York pizzerias for the experience and then uh, found my way out to San Diego, California, which is where I currently live and have worked at um, a couple different pizzerias, soul food places, and then have found my way now to becoming a production chef for an organization called Kitchens for Good. Nice. So that's, it seems like 
a variety of experiences in like the Italian. Um, again, I don't even know like the terminology. <laughs> I was about to say like the Italian market. Um, and then you said you're getting it to soul food as well. Um, growing up in South Jersey, there was a lot of Italians around and like my family was Irish and like food that wasn't that major for us. But I know, and this, I don't I hope it's not like stereotyping, but like the Italian culture food seems to be like a staple in like the family. And oh. so, um, the first few episodes I've been talking about culture and like how culture is essentially like what unites people. And I'm wondering, or I'm interested in your take, like how does food unite people? So similar to culture, like how does food bring people together? I think it's, it's, it's all intertwined. Um, food brings people together every day. I mean, I know in my, in my family, I grew up eating a lot of family meals together. So for us, it was, you know, our, our chance to recap at the end of the day and, and kind of talk through some things. And it was always seemed like in a rush because I had two older brothers and a younger sister. So uh, I was always running off to somebody's soccer practice or game or, you know, uh, hockey practice or whatever it was. It was kind of sped through, but we always kind of made some time to sit down at the table. And I think that kind of carried through with my life when I kind of started to look back on, you know, what what I cherished from my childhood. I'd say those family meals are, are one of those things. And whether it's me being Italian or or what, but food is certainly unifying because it really gives us a chance to delve into either our own culture by eating the food of our ancestors or delving into someone else's culture through the food of their ancestors. And I think both experiences really leaves a lot of space for education and learning about something that either is an identifying factor of you or of someone else. So you said like delving into another culture and so you, would you say that you could learn more about a culture by learning about their food? Certainly. Yeah, I would say that. Um, that's kind of been my journey uh, with soul food. You know, as you mentioned, like having an Italian uh, and, and also Irish background uh, and growing up in South Jersey, I didn't really have much exposure to soul food at all. It really wasn't... Um, you know, something right. available to our community. So I think I started to delve into that when I went to school in Virginia. Um, I got some exposure to the local farmers markets and had pimento cheese for the first time and, and kind of started to experience a local cuisine that wasn't um, my own. It wasn't, you know, what I was familiar with. So kind of looking at that local scene as uh, an opportunity to become one with the community, with its history, its past, um, but also just understand kind of where it's going uh, as well. Because every every city has its identifying food. Every place has something that is its taste. Like the idea of um, terroir is really interesting when you talk about wine, that like this is uh, a concept that when you drink a wine from a specific place, it actually has a taste of that place. Uh, so why people drink, you know, wine from, from France, but also they love wine from South Africa or from, you know, Venezuela or, or all over the world. People have this interest in finding the taste of place, which I think is kind of what I was finding along the way in Virginia. I didn't really know I was finding it, but, um, right. you know, I, I started to, to eat around 
Harrisonburg, which was a local town in, uh, in, in Virginia that I was going to school in. And I really kind of became connected with the, the local food traditions. So this is going to be a totally ignorant question, but what is soul food? Soul food is, is complicated. Uh, I would say that it's America's true food. Um, obviously we're a melting pot. You've covered Interesting. <laughs> bold claim. It's a bold, it's a bold, uh, assertion. I like it though. You, you mentioned I like it. that you know, we, we're a melting pot. It's what we're, we're known for, or a mixing bowl or however you want to look at that analogy. But, you know, as much as we are a bunch of different cultures, when people ask or represent American food elsewhere in the world, um, it's a it's a specific concept of what that is, and and I think it's it's mac and cheese, it's fried chicken, um, it's sweet tea. Um, it kind of stems back to southern roots. Um, even though we eat differently all over the country, it seems like what our definition of American food is is kind of like an indulgent, sinful grease heavy <laughs> comfort food, which I would argue yeah. comes from the South. Yeah. I wonder why that is. I'm not sure sure why that is. I think it's it but kind like, of appeals to our gluttony, maybe. <laughs> right, but like I'm when I think of the South, I think of just like hot and humid. And I don't know if I'd want to be eating like mac and cheese, but like I have had like I went to the South a lot when I was growing up and like their food is amazing. Right. Um, I just I'm I'm interested. At, like I, as I guess, just a genuine curiosity as to like why that happened in the South and not somewhere else. Well, I'd say you know I don't know if you know that answer. That's just like a thinking out loud question. No, I think that's a great question. It's a great conversation point because I've been uh, you know obviously st- studying food is kind of a fun thing because you get to eat the food, but you also get to kind of delve into it as much as you'd like and. I've kind of chosen soul food as a way to uh, understand culture um, that I'm not a part of. As I kind of mentioned earlier, my one of my girlfriends, she is from from Richmond, Virginia. So uh, when I went to meet her family for the first time, we'd already been living together in New York for probably six months at the time. So I was already on kind of the... uh, the who is this guy list but um once i did get to sit down with her <laughs> right. family once we got to sit down i got to uh really get treated um wonderfully by her her parents um and and they cooked me traditional southern food her mom is uh from georgia and has um this kind of like rich past and you know this delicious southern comfort food um and she cooks that way even today so i uh i think that was really my first kind of hook on soul food was was her cooking um and the way that she made biscuits was the first time i really had homemade southern biscuits um for the first time so Mm -hmm. i'd say I'd, i'd argue that american food and is is soul food and vice versa um, and I'd say why that happened in the South was because kind of as our American history, you know, story, our almost American history X is, is this complication between race. And that has been from the beginning of 
our country's history. So I think the reason that soul food came out of the South was because of this clash, but also collaboration, forced collaboration between, you know, imported black slaves and, you know, white families, you know, poor white Southerners, but also, you know, white um, slave owners. So I think this, this idea right. of Southern food came about because of strife, because of um, the really deep complications that were going on in the South at the time between white and black people. Um, but also it really stems from this kind of endurance uh, and you know, perseverance of black culture um, in in the face of like such adversity. And I think that's why we lean towards those, like you mentioned, like rich mac and cheese and like heavy, greasy, soulful foods, because um, one, that was what was available um, to them. They didn't really get the, the best cuts of anything in particular. Um, you know, they were always kind of right. seen as, you know, here are the seconds, but, you know, what they made from those those seconds um, were something that really comforted the soul, which I think speaks to, um, you know, black culture in general, just kind of uplifting and, you know, trying to look at the positive, the positives amidst all of the craziness that's going on around you. So I'd say that, that's why I would assert that soul food is is really truly American because it's very complicated. <laughs> well, that, and that even like connects to, I think, a recent um, discussion that's especially popped up in like teaching American history is like I remember I saw a clip of Morgan Freeman saying like I don't why do we have a Black History Month? It's like black history is American history and like vice versa. And so like to say that like soul food is American food, I think people think of like burgers and whatever else, but like soul food is a staple part of the story of what America is. Like it's, you know, it's like almost, it's so connected to our past, which is just so interesting too, that you say like, I don't know that like to, I, cause I'm curious that how does, how can we understand a culture better by understanding their food? And like that connection between like almost like if you want to understand that culture better, look at the food and then again, like the vice versa, like look at if you want to understand the food, like look at the history of the people and like what their situation was. Definitely. It's just fascinating. Yeah. And I think that food tells us a story, at least for me, I haven't really been, you know, like books and I love reading, but I feel like more of my learning experience with food has been being around people from that culture, understanding why food is unifying for them. Um, you know, I've, I've had um, one of my good friends in New York is Filipino and food is so important to him. Um, and he has, you know, a really big family back in, in uh, the Philippines. So, you know, seeing his interaction with food and his love of food um, kind of inspires me to delve both into my own food culture, Italian food, and also outside of that into others. Um, and you mentioned that kind of intertwining. It makes me think of uh, spaghetti and meatballs because I always think about Italian <laughs> food and how Italian food is, we think of pizza, which has of course tomato sauce. We think of uh, spaghetti and meatballs, pasta and tomato sauce. and when we boil it down, there's actually 
no connection really between tomatoes and, and Italy, at least as far back as the Roman Empire. We, you know, tomatoes didn't make their way into really Europe until the 1500s, you know, after they were discovered in America. So to see, you know, Italy being represented uh, by a food that's very recent into their culture um, is, is pretty fascinating to me. I think it's funny that someone, you know, a culture would have something so defining and it actually be uh, a fairly new part of their cuisine. Um, you know, corn was the same way, making its way into uh, Europe and, and uh, pasta originated in Asia. So to kind of use a plate of food as like, how did it get here? How did it get to Italy? How did it make its way onto my plate? I think is fascinating for me to uh, right. see a plate of food as like a page in history. So, I didn't know that. Tomatoes were an American plant? Yes. Yeah, they're native to the States. Oh, well, but North America in general. What? Wow. Yep. So, you said, like, prior to the Roman Empire about? Like, when did tomatoes start to... It's funny, because it's like, uh, you know, like, how the seed travels. It either travels by, like, a bird or a deer, or, like, once humans kind of start to globalize that's, uh, that's how it traveled like how when did the tomato do you know like when that made its way to europe and italy and then like why is it why is the tomato seen as a staple for italians like did they just embrace it better than anyone else it seems like they did embrace it better than anyone else um it it made its way over uh in the mid 1500s um by spanish and portuguese uh Explorers, they were kind of making their way to the New World, and then they would bring stuff back. And uh, now that I think about it, fourteen ninety two, right? Fourteen ninety two. Now that I think about it, though, I can't imagine a tomato really lasting a ripe tomato lasting, you know, the whole journey back. So I'm assuming they were probably also taking, you know, the seeds and harvesting the seeds and trying to introduce new plant life to Europe. but the, the tomato surprisingly wasn't embraced by Europe. That's kind of where we have the joke of throwing tomatoes um, on someone, you know, to somebody that's on stage that's performing poorly because we thought that they were poisonous right. at first. We thought that they were, uh, you know, going to maybe harm the person on stage. So uh, they weren't seen as a desirable food for a while. They were eventually, I guess, turned into a sauce at one point somebody you know daringly made that choice to eat a tomato and um whether it was the bright color of the tomato or whatever it may have been that prevented people from eating it right away it eventually made its way into italian food you know all over the place whether it be the caprese salad or you know pasta and meatballs and spaghetti sauce or marinara or all these ways that it kind of made its way into the cuisine it definitely became a staple, but it, it's surprising that it did, considering it's not actually from even the same continent as, you know, Italy is in. So what else is like a staple ingredient in your typical Italian plate, not counting tomatoes then? So I would say basil, but basil is native to Italy. Uh, and then outside of that, pasta but pasta also didn't originate in Italy. It was kind of experienced a renaissance there, but uh, originally pasta is from 
originating from the, the Chinese noodle. So that's where we had the first um, you know, concept of you know, taking flour and water, combining them and turning them into uh, a way to preserve flour and water, you know, and turning into a, a dried pasta and then transporting that. And it actually traveled along the Silk Road um, which is that ancient trading route that went through the Middle East. And so pasta right. just kind of slowly made its way through uh, Europe um, and then made its way down into into Italy. And, and I believe that was much earlier than this and than the tomato. I believe it was like 900 or so, the year 900. So um, it was definitely earlier on, but... Uh, I would say it's kind of made its way into Italian food really fluidly and has been adapted and changed into so many different types and varieties of just the same thing. You know, you have, you know, pasta that can be anything from lasagna sheet to a ravioli to, you know, a butterfly shaped pasta. They really kind of took it and used it as an art form. Right. So... All this, all these ingredients travel around the world to make their way to Italy. Italy develops, what would it be? A, is it a cuisine, a culinary? Like, what would be the term for? I would say it's. Is it Italy's cuisine? It's Italy's cuisine, and I would say that that's a hard thing to really pinpoint as a whole country. Like as we were talking about the United States, it's complicated, but definitely there's regional cuisines even within one country. But I think you can, especially yeah. in certain places of Europe where the languages and, and the cultures change so drastically, even within, you know, a few hundred miles, that you can define a cuisine by its, a whole country as well, just like we would say, you know, Chinese food or, you know. But it's, it's so hard because the more right. you learn about food, the more you realize there's more to learn, you know, that it's just kind of widens your yeah, man. even further. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's true of just about everything. Exactly. There's a funny bias. I, I can't remember the name of it, but it was essentially that like when you understand something basically, you have a basic understanding of something that you view it as very simple and basic. But in reality, like the more you actually learn something about something, the more you realize how much you don't know about that topic or how complex it is. Um, and I mean, food is definitely one of those things. I, I, well, like well, I was living on my own, this is like a side story, but I was living on my own, um, before I got married and I pretty much just made, um, stir fry like on a Sunday and then just had that stir fry like the whole week. So my, <laughs> um, variety in cooking, like wasn't that wide, but then I married Kendra and like she watched, she's very good at cooking and she watched chopped all the time. Okay. And like they'd start to talk about like different. Do you watch that show? I do, yes. And like they started talking about like. Well, they'd open up the basket and then talk about like, oh, this is going to be like the sweet or like this texture and like just talking about all these different dimensions to things to consider while you're putting on your plate. And that really like, like this student in me started to perk my ears like, oh, wow, like this is like you can study it. Um, and. Like you said, I just, it's funny that you said like the more you learn about even like Italian cuisine, like the more complicated it gets. I'm interested that 
So all these ingredients make their way to Italy, and then Italians eventually make their way to the United States. Right. Is there a distinguishable difference between Italian-American food and Italian food? And if so, what? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'd say that it experienced a, a second uh, renaissance in a way, just you know, in the same way that you could say the pasta changed Italy or the tomato changed Italy. Coming to New York changed you know, Italian food, or at least its perception. Um, there were immediate differences um, based on ingredients, what was available locally. Um, and, and so you had an excess of meat, which was interesting because in the south of Italy, which a lot of people were immigrating to uh, the United States from the south of Italy, when we talk about that kind of massive, you know, spread of people from from Italy and Ireland into uh, the United States, we're talking, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, which is when my great grandfather made his way. The second over. wave. Exactly. The second wave of immigration. And so when you see all these people moving over, they're taking only really with them the knowledge of their past. They didn't really have a whole lot of things with them, right? I mean, you're traveling you know, by boat to another country, um, you know, crossing the Atlantic. So at the time, you didn't really have much with you besides, you know, your just knowledge of, of your past, like what your your culture, what you're bringing with you. And that's when you see this um, these communities starting to form, like, you know, little Italy's um, starting to form, or, you know, you have Chinatown starting to form, and, and everybody's trying to find some sort of... Um, you know, culture, some, some resemblance of their hometown. And you, uh, as a result, see a lot of food, a lot of restaurants coming out of those places. So um, one of the things that we see uh, in, in Italy and in the United States, but it's very different, is pizza. And pizza started, obviously, uh, in, in Italy, started in the south, um, in Naples, and uh, was, you know, tomatoes, basil, mozzarella cheese, end of the story. It was a margarita pizza, and that was really what they were known for. Baked in a wood-fired oven. Right. And then it made its way over to New York, and, and New York saw the boom of electricity and, and so many different things that were available to them. And so, and I think almost due to the excessiveness that is New York, you know, pizzas became bigger. They, they went from personal size to family sized and uh, they were baked in an electric oven versus a wood fired oven. And, and there was just this change that started to happen, a, a new identity, um, you know, like you, you were to, to move to a new place, you would want to keep your own ways, you know, from back home. Like, you know, I still try to make a Philly cheesesteak every once in a while, but you also want to embrace mm -hmm. the new culture that's around you. Uh, so trying to work your way into a new culture and assimilate, but also do that with the way that you speak, the way that you eat. It really just kind of infiltrates every part of your own personal culture that you're experiencing. So we see a lot of changes. We see um, pasta become slightly different. Um, a lot of like mass produced dried pastas versus fresh. Um, you start to see... Uh, oh, cream sauces. That was an interesting thing that happened. Like um, Alfredo, even though it's so 
you know, kind of quintessentially Italian, it's actually Italian American. You don't really find Alfredo sauce in in Italy really? much at all. And it's just interesting to to understand why that is. It was just simply created by a guy probably named Alfredo, and it was a sauce that he just became known for and <laughs> was cooking it in New York and. It just kind of took off, but if you went to Italy and you asked for Alfredo sauce, they would have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I guess, I mean, I suppose if you invent a sauce, you have the right to just name it after yourself. Sure, why not? Luckily, Alfredo is a cool name. I feel like Sean, Sean, Sean sauce would be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's almost, it's almost. <laughs> this is like a super basic way of like thinking about it but it's almost like chopped so you have italians coming to the united states and then they have their background and then like like okay what do we have to work with and then they create their own take on it and then i'm sure like you give it enough time like italian americans view they're more connected to their italian american version of food than like the motherland if you will of like what people make in italy Sure, sure. I would say that too. I I studied abroad in Italy, so that was my my kind of experience going from what I grew up on, which was heavily influenced from Philadelphia Italian food, New York Italian food, Italian American food in general, and that's what my parents cooked because that's what their parents cooked. Uh, and so, you know, we had a, a right. few like signature family dishes, but outside of that, it was um, very Italian American. So going back to Italy. And experiencing that for the first time, you know, I was kind of blown away by the variety that was Italian food, how much seafood that they cooked. I, I hadn't really grown up on seafood much. I think it was just really not my parents' preference. But, you know, I got a, a mixed seafood pizza and I was looking at octopus and, you know, clams and, you know, really? squid on my pizza. And I was like, whoa, I would never have expected to be looking at an octopus when I was, you know, biting into a slice of pizza. But that's that's uh, something that was, you know, and is identifiable with Southern Italian food. And even though my ancestors were from there, they weren't really working with those foods because they weren't available to them. They weren't, you know, accessible in the New York Harbor, <laughs> you know, so they they did with right. what, they, what they could find. And I mean, if if you look at Italy on a map, just geographically, it's like it's right in the Mediterranean. I've wondered um, if you compare, and again, like you might know more about this than I do, but if you compare like Italian food to a uh, German food, seems it like seems good, but like English food and Irish food and maybe even French food, like it seems like Italian food has much more variety and like flavor, and I. I don't know if that's necessarily true. And I wonder if like latitude has something to do with that. If like the connection to the Mediterranean, like the geography of it, um, slash, do you think Italian food is the best European food? Putting you on the spot. That's a tough one. Um, I would say that, uh, being biased. Yes. I would say that, um, because it does have so much variety, it also has so much history to it. You know, you think back, you know, to the Roman Empire that's going over 2,000 years ago. So, and, and there's still foods and, and cultures, you know, from, from that time that we see. I think, 
For me, one of the coolest experiences was when I went to um, Pompeii. And I was walking around Pompeii and you could still make out a civilization. Like it, it was certainly, you know, decimated and like you could see people like um, kind of encased in lava rock, which was crazy. But like people who were and hmm. existing at the time, but at the time of, you know, the volcano, they just kind of were, ter- fossil, you know, fossilized almost. But so it was, it was crazy to be in this uh, town and walking around and seeing like little cafes and bars and like hieroglyphic menus still on buildings from that time, you know, from thousands of years ago. Yeah. So I think when we think of like, oh, like the Roman Empire and like past that, you know, into like Pompeii era, we think of like a very primitive society. But, you know, I don't think it was too dissimilar from like, you know, many towns or cities that we see today, you know, like just a, a simpler version, but I wouldn't say it was, you know, primitive by any means. So I think when we think back to our, uh, the question that you asked me was uh, whether or not we, uh, Italian food is, is the, the best food uh, of Europe. I would say historically, yes, it's kind of gone through, um, you know, the ringer and has had some recipes that stood the test of time and then some that kind of faded off. And, and it's also representative of so many more cultures than I think a lot of people are aware of. You'd have, you know, French influence on the northern border. You'd have a lot of like uh, risotto and, and like heavier soups and stews from that area in like closer to the Alps. But you also have, you know, central Italy, which has a very strong Roman influence and uh, Catholic influence, given that the uh, Vatican is there as well. So there's a lot of kind of history in that spot. And then further south, you have a really kind of complicated story because Sicily was tossed in between, you know, back and forth between North Africa, between the Ottoman Empire and just like all over the place. So this particular island that's why a lot of sicilians will say that they're sicilian over even italian because they identify with a different set of rules and culture and food than the italians do on the mainland so i'd say Mm -hmm. that it is uh one of the the best european foods because it has experienced um so many different cultures uh kind of grabbing at its land and as a result you have a crazy influence especially the further south you go it just becomes more and more um, complicated with like who was here and at what time and you can see that in the architecture like certain towns look like they're from you know turkey and then other towns look like they're you know from france you know and or greece you know and it just depended on who conquered that land at what point and that of course impacts the architecture but it also impacts the food drastically yeah it's fascinating that like you're saying that you can look historically and say like who is here through the architecture and everything else but like also through the food um that's really interesting like the history of the food i wonder also like just i'm looking at a map right now like because italy sticks out and is in the mediterranean and so like the travel in the mediterranean opens up like this um almost melting pot 
of cultures and like the diffusion of cultures if that's like why i don't know if i could you say like italian food has progressed so much more like because they're in a place where they're going to experience a diversity and almost like the melting pot of cultural cuisine um yeah i don't know I, i was wondering if it had like something to do with latitude but also even just the great geographic location of where it is like that has to play a part as well Definitely, yeah. I mean, it, hmm. it's surrounded by water, which during its history was crucial in, you know, people discovering it. You know, people in, like, I'm looking at a map now, too. If you look at, like, Croatia or Albania, like, people were like, oh, wow, we're going to go out into the open sea. And then all of a sudden they hit Italy, you know. And I think that people probably discovered <laughs> yeah. Italy, like, accidentally for the most part, Um and and then just kind of influence yeah. it in some way but i also would agree with you the the latitude the fact that it goes from you know europe's tallest mountain range in the north all the way down to you know volcanic soil in sicily and it has such a diversity from the north to the south uh yeah in in a pretty small i think it like if you were to put italy on the us i think it would go from like maine to Virginia maybe or a little bit further south so it's not huge but it really? does have that diversity you know from the from the north to the south in altitude and you know uh, just vol- volcanoes and cliffs and all sorts of things that impact its uh, its food and that kind of brings back this idea of terroir which is coincidentally a french word but this like taste of place and there's so many things that impact that you know is it is the soil volcanic and that may influence why these particular tomatoes grow incredibly yeah. you know or and why they maybe don't have that same flavor if they're you know tried to be replicated in california for instance i might be just over generalizing but europe itself is just very diverse in like you travel just like three hours like you're saying italy is like maine to virginia and then like you travel from italy and go through switzerland and into germany and like the culture has such a major shift in a lot of areas and like i'm sure food being one of them um i would i think that's why traveling europe is so cool because like it, in a short distance you can like experience such variety mm. it feels like in the united states that's obviously that's a little bit less and obviously because we share a culture but is it one of the difficult things about the united states too is like almost the lack of homogeneity in culture because of like the melting pot and it's just large other than soul food like what is american food hmm that's oof, that's a tough question because I would say yes, soul food. I would say that's uh, what I would lean on as an answer, but it's it's not obviously. I love that food. answer, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> when you travel, I'm, I'm reading this book uh, called "The Taste of the Nation," and it's um, about American food, and it's it's it was created during the new deal um it was a uh, new deal project where a lot of writers were sent to um, all these different areas around the country and they were essentially tasked with capturing the culture uh, of the area so you have this like crazy in-depth snapshot um 
of these small towns in America from the 1920s. And when you're, and it was all paid for by the government as a way to get people back to work. And so they yeah. were, they were food writers and they went out into America and surveyed what the food was. And I, and in reading this book, it's interesting because immigration plays such a huge factor in all of this. Like we talk about um, Italians coming here, you know, forced immigration of slavery and that's impact of, you know, food, but also, you know, it's, it is regionalized. I would say, you know, our impact from the movement of people, when you go to specific areas, they become known for a specific food. Um, I, I was talking right. with one of the classes about food trends at my job and what people thought were, you know, kind of up and coming food trends. And we, we had a good discussion on that. And I said, well, when I think back to the East Coast, I think of distinct cities having foods that are identifiable with the place, like Philly cheesesteak or New York pizza or Chicago deep dish and you know, all yeah. these ideas. And I said, what is San Diego known for? And it was tacos. And I was like, okay, what about LA? And they're like, tacos. And I was like, tacos are good, man. All right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I love tacos, but it's funny that like an entire region, of, especially an influential region of, you know, the States, California, I believe if it was its own country, it would have like the fifth largest GDP um, of any country. So it's extremely influential in like really? the American idea, you know, Hollywood and, and what what is America? And and it's kind of that, you know, pumping of, of culture out from this area. But it's funny that tacos um, is kind of what we lean on as our you know regional food. And, and they are delicious here. Don't get me wrong. They're so good. Some of the, the best tacos I've had in my life. But, you know, I think that's proximity. And I think we have to think about that, too, when we're discussing you know, a country as geographically vast as the U.S. Like, where where are we in the country, and and what food is around us? You know, in in the north, you're gonna find you know, kind of more comfort foods, um, and then in the south, you're well, you also find comfort foods as well. But I would say that the American idea and the and the palate that has been developed is comfort um whether or not that's soul or not i'd say like we tend to lean towards the more indulgent as a nation and we're kind of known for that leaning towards like burgers with cheese and mac and cheese but you know also pizza and tacos and and that sort of thing which is which is i would say all somewhat comfort foods that's very interesting and I would love to know, like, why is it that Americans like comfort food? So, I mean, like, I we like comfort food because we were raised on comfort food. But where, you know, like, the origins of that and, like, why is it, like, what is it about America that, like, we just like that so much? I don't, I don't know. That's interesting. It is, certainly, especially um, because we're to switch. Fun. Yeah, right? Like, I would even... When you said the North likes comfort food, I was thinking like New England clam chowder. Like when you're right. snowboarding and you go to the top of the mountain, like there's clam chowder in a bread bowl is just phenomenal. So good. Like that's, <laughs> I feel like chowder is as comfort food. 
Um, we have, I guess, like 15 minutes left on this recording. Um, and I would love to get your take on... So, like, part of what I want this podcast to be is just to be passionate about learning and, like, curiosity and being a student. And how can one start to learn more about a culture and its food like where what would you recommend like how could i start let's say like because i had an idea um with kendra of like let's pick a week and then like pick a culture um and then like that week our dinners are based on that culture um like how would i even go about doing that i think that's a fantastic idea it's a great starting point i think the best way to learn a culture is Maybe to try to replicate it. That might be a little bit uh, touchy, but I think being able to try something and and experience it, like a taco, for example, or you know, a, a, whatever your favorite dish is from a cuisine that's not your own, um, try to try to make it, try to you know, cook it, and and I would even push it a little bit further than just trying to cook it, but trying to cook it quote-unquote authentically and I say quote-unquote because we have all of these different ideas of fusion and you know this belongs with this and you know Vietnamese and Cajun food and all of these like intertwining of things um, but I would say try to cook it authentically as in you know what what was the first of this recipe you know how did it how did it kind of travel through time um, you know if, if you're you're trying a you know taco and you really love this particular you know dish maybe go specifically to uh, a store that's you know owned by mexicans or has mexican quality ingredients that you can get you know the right chili peppers that you want to use in the dish and and uh i think for me growing up we had those uh like taco kits that you would buy and I had like the hard and soft shell tacos. <laughs> and yeah. when I think back to that, I'm like, ah, oh, it's like disgraceful, especially now that I'm like eating tacos that are <laughs> so much more, you know, you know, significant in someone's culture. And here I, you know, here my family is buying like the 12 taco set from, uh, from Gennardi's or whatever grocery store was there. Um, <laughs> Gennardi's, <that's classic. laughs> but uh, I would say that uh, Gennardi's, that's <laughs> the way to, uh, the way to do it would be, would be to, to cook the food, to, to really delve into the culture, either, either go to a place that um, is cooking it in a way that is like representative of their upbringing and, and their culture and trying it and then trying to replicate that at home. But I'd say really going the extra mile and, and doing some research on it and uh, seeing what foods you might be able to find and push yourself outside of the, the comfort zone of maybe shopping at your regular grocery store or Trader Joe's or wherever you go to get your, your food and saying, okay, like if I'm really making an honest effort to cook food from this place, let me try to find a place that sells food from their area, from their country or from wherever. Um, because I right. think that really does make an impact and it really pushes the boundaries of you as a cook, I think, or anybody as a cook, because you're you know, as a cook, you're a student, you know, and so as you're trying to find out what, you know, you like to cook, like whenever somebody, you know, 
is talking about cooking, it's always like, oh, what's your signature dish? What do you like to cook? And I think it's uh, as you learn and as you expand your uh, knowledge around food and trying other you know, dishes to make them authentically, uh, that kind of really uh, defines what becomes your signature, what becomes like your stamp on food. Um, and I think of, you know, making carnitas tacos. Uh, I tried making those and, you know, went to a Mexican market nearby and got, um, you know, pork shoulder. And, and I started looking up recipes and I was like, really? I'm putting cinnamon in here and nutmeg? That seems strange. Like, I've always associated cinnamon and nutmeg with baking. Really? But this, like, rich, deep flavor yeah. develops from you know, nutmeg and cinnamon and, and other spices and chipotle peppers. And you kind of build this dish. And I learned so much from trying to create that dish. And it was something out of my comfort zone of, you know, soul food and Italian food, but something that I could still take those, you know, those uh, qualities of soul food and Italian food and techniques that I've learned from cooking those genres of food and apply them to, Mexican food or, or something that I was trying to recreate. So I think that that's where that neat intersection of cultures forms naturally. You know, I think there's forced fusion of foods, but I think there's also this natural curiosity of, oh, what if I put this in here and see how that tastes? What if I put cinnamon and nutmeg in my, you know, spaghetti sauce? Like what could happen then? You know, so I right. think there's a cool way of, um, you know, when you do open yourself up to learning a new culture's food and being a student of food, you start to really identify yourself as a cook or even just as a person in general as you delve into learning a new culture. Yeah, I even like what you're saying about or like what are the spices? It was nutmeg and something else. Like cinnamon. the learning about yeah, okay, cinnamon. It's like learning there are just so many, I don't want to say an infinite amount of approaches to flavor, but like with the amount of variety of cultures there are on this planet, like there's that almost amount of variety of approach to flavor. And so, you know, just like broaden, like I would never think to do that. And like, that's an experience that I could easily have if I just took time and was like, oh, like how do they make it there? Rather than like you're saying like that taco making kit, like the Americanized version of just like, oh, I'm going to make tacos. What does Taco Bell do? Like research, like, okay, pick a region and make. And I, I wonder also, uh, is there variety in regions of Mexico that like they do tacos differently? Is there like much variety within Mexican food? Definitely. Yeah. And I think that when we consider any country's food, um, you know, we, we get the uh, kind of mainstream uh, vision of what that food is, and that can be different depending on where we live. But I'd say definitely Mexican food. Mexico is, I believe, made up of 13 different states, and the states are massive. Um, where I am right. here in San Diego, I live about 15 minutes from the border of Tijuana. So that's an easy, you know, trip to make. Unfortunately, due to coronavirus, it's not as easy right now. Um, but when you do go into right. California and that goes all the way down, um, all the way south to uh, Cabo San Lucas. So it's like this giant peninsula and that whole peninsula is very different. Like their type of food is very different than 
the rest of Mexico. Um, and the same is true, you know, because of what's available. There's, a, you know, the Sonoran Desert goes right through Mexico. So like central Mexico doesn't really have a whole lot of, um, you know, ingredients to work with because of the terrain. But on either end, either coast, they have different specialties. Mexico City as well um, is, I believe, one of the, lar the largest cities in the world as far as population. And they're known for, you know, many different types of dishes and, you know, different takes on uh, even insects. I've had uh, one of my friends came back from Oaxaca, which is the uh, providence that um, Mexico City is in. And I want to make sure that I'm saying that right. Yes, Oaxaca. Um, so I didn't want to say, oh, no, it's, that's actually not from that place. But so, yeah, Mexico City, um, <laughs> right. I have this, this like they, they eat um, insects down there as well. So I had someone bring um, back for me like uh, like essentially barbecued um, like crickets and, and uh, scorpions and like all these different insects that were um, eaten regularly by um you know mexicans from that area so what may be popular in one area is very different in another and that's the case i think not only with mexican food but like any genre or, or type of uh, cuisine that's out there um, it's different depending on where you are in the country and what a great opportunity to like it's it feels like by doing that, you're doing more than just learning about like the food. Like if you're diving into it, you're learning about the region and the people there. And even then, like me asking, is there a diversity in Mexican food? Learning more about that then helps me understand the diversity within the Hispanic culture, you know, like and within Mexican culture. And that gives me a better understanding of I mean, I guess the world really, because the more you're learning about other people. Um, and I mean, again, just looking at like the global map, it, I feel like there's just so much to explore. Um, and I also like what you said about just getting out of your comfort zone and trying something new. Um, you know, I did a podcast on like being in the moment and one of the best ways to be in the moment is to be like consciously thinking about the things you're doing and learning or like trying something new when you're cooking. Like if we have to have dinner, the benefits of exploring and learning new things and putting yourself out of that comfort zone, like just, I feel makes life more interesting. Definitely. And it's and like, completely doable. You mentioned like, I have to have dinner and that's what it really comes down to. Like as much as, you know, food is uh, a fun thing to play around with. And like, you know, it's one of our five senses that we can really like delve into. And I, I would argue you, you kind of invoke all five senses when you're, when you're eating and trying something, but also like it's, we have to do it. We have to eat. Um, so, you know, sometimes right. it's going to be, and that's, that kind of finds its way into recipes too. Like sometimes it's going to be like a grandiose, like, big feast and then sometimes it's not and and we don't um often find like we we often find uh recipes that were born out of like strife and born out of like financial issues and we like 
we have to eat this food. We have to eat something. So we might as well like try to make it stretch. And like, that's why like meatloaf kind of came about or meatballs came about because we cut meat with bread and eggs Mm. to make it last longer. You know, like let's use less and we'll spread it out and it'll make up, you know, four meals instead of, you know, two meals. So I think there's this, like, it all comes back to the fact that it's a necessity. It's a human necessity that we eat and drink water. But the fact that we've uh, made it a part of our identity, I think, speaks to the value of food and speaks to um, us as humans. Why why would we take something and make it more complicated? Uh, but that's what, exactly what we did. We took something very simple. like You could just eat raw foods, but we really um, expanded it out of that realm and turned it into something that's pleasurable. So kind of seeking our own... Uh, you know, full enjoyment of our senses is, I think, a cool thing that came out of food, but also of many other things. Music kind of comes to mind, too. My girlfriend is a musician, and we often talk about this, like, intersection of food and music and how it kind of plays off of the same, you know, pleasures of, you know, the human mind. So it's uh, it's fascinating. I could talk about food, and I do talk about food all day. Yeah, um... Even going with it, and then we can wrap up, but going with the like the idea of picking a week and picking a culture, like as you're cooking, you can play music from that culture, you know, and like just I think there's a lot of creativity that could go with it. And just again, if it's something we have to do, we have to be eating, it's just a way to make life more interesting is exploring um, cultural foods. So that was we're at 57 minutes that was a long fun conversation you really know your stuff man like you were diving deep into some things that was awesome um is there any yeah dude i i know like you did a live stream of like making um some form of pasta like is there anything that you're doing um out like on social media where people can follow you or um anything like that yeah definitely uh my personal instagram account is chef ryan rizzuto and i do occasional like pasta making videos pesto making videos i did a pickling class so i do those every once in a while all free just because i want to learn something or teach something Uh, another way that we were kind of talking about uh you know ways that we learn i think for me it's also teaching doing the research and then teaching it it's a great way to learn um, I also have my own soul yep. food business um, where I'm trying out some new stuff um, and it's called Southside Biscuits. So if you want to uh, follow that and check it out and just drool over some fried chicken biscuit sandwiches, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> soul food. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Nice man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to, um, talk to me about food and culture it seems like a random conversation but you really do know your stuff and i feel like we could do even more episodes just like dive deeper and deeper um but i really enjoy the conversations and um it really inspires me to almost pick a culture and then just realize like the rabbit hole that you can go down of understanding the history of that place and everything that goes with learning about food so i really appreciate you taking the time to uh, come and talk on the podcast, man. Of course. And I challenge you to do it. I challenge you to pick a culture and try it out. I'll, I'll try to do the same. Uh, I'm looking at the map. Maybe like Thailand. 
Oh, there you go. Get ready for some spice. <laughs> I, I do not. I, I am okay with spice. I'm getting better, but maybe this will be my introduction or the, the true test. There you go. All right, man. Well, um, we got 20 seconds, so I'll wrap it up again. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, thanks for joining the podcast, dude. It was a good time. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you.